Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Okay, we're going to take kind of just a quick little overview. I'm going to try and get through this as quick as I can. Uh, So just to kind of give you an overview, I taught this class uh, last year, and I'm not teaching the whole class, but I'm just using the front portion of it to kind of get us into of where we're going. Where we're going right now is we're going to be talking about uh, uh, the Old Testament, but we're going to really take a a high view of the prophets. Okay, not all in today. This is going to be a a series, and we're going to go over this. But before we get there, we want to look at our Bible for a second. So go ahead and switch to the next slide. This could be tough for them because I gave them the, the PowerPoint like an hour ago. There it is. So in our Bible, there are 66 books of the Bible, right? 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. Okay, next. They are not arranged in chronological order in our Bible. Okay. They are not arranged in chronological order. They are arranged by the type of book that they are, or it is. And the Old Testament is going to be broken down into three major parts. All right, next slide. You're going to have uh, your historical, which is going to be 17 books, your poetic, which is going to be five books, and your prophetic, which is going to be 17, which adds up to 39. Okay, under historical, you're going to have, if you were to, you can break this even down farther, and I'm not going to spend the time to do that, except for this little part. The first five books, which are at the beginning of your Bible, which are historical, Genesis through Deuteronomy, are basically the book of law, the law of Moses, or they're called, you know, the Pentateuch, right? Okay, keep moving. Historical on this side, you're going to be Joshua through Esther. That's, that's basically advancing the story of the Bible, okay? It's bringing everything that the Bible and the Old Testament has to tell you, the story. It's advanced in those historical books. Over here, you've got your poetic books with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, which is actually rated PG-13. Um, if you're under 18, you should be reading Song of Solomon's with an adult. Okay, so, uh, or not reading it at all. So, um, uh, a lot of here is going to be songs and poems. Now, parents, you're going to go home and like, have to explain that to your kids. Okay, so uh, songs and, and poems a lot in that section. Okay, next section. All right, here comes your prophecy. It's going to be Isaiah through Malachi. All right, so Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, almost Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Next one. Those are going to be broken down into two things, major prophets and minor prophets. The major prophets are going to be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Dan, Dan, I just about cussed, Daniel, okay? They are called major prophets because of the size of their books. They're big books. That's simply it. That's it. You, you ever look through Isaiah? I thought at some point we'd, do, uh, we'd go slow through Isaiah, and I realized that's going to take probably a year and a half easily. That's not even a joke. Isaiah is a big book. Uh, Jeremiah's book, Lamentations, connected with Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, right? Your minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. They're minor books because they're small. Simple as that. There's nothing, it's not like Daniel was more anointed or anything like that. It's just, it's a big book. He had a lot to say. And these guys had not quite as much to say, but doesn't mean it wasn't as powerful. All right, next one. Now, between that, it's going to break it down even, even farther, okay? In three sections, you're going to have your pre-exilic or pre-exile, exile, 
and then post-exile prophets, okay? Under pre-exilic, can you see that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, go to the next one. Exilic, but when they're in exile, that's going to be Ezekiel and Daniel. So you remember, um, Israel gets started following the Lord, coming out of Exodus, blah, 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 following, coming out of Egypt through the Exodus, following the Lord, uh, get kings, bad kings, all these different, once Solomon dies, the, the, the kingdom becomes fractured, and you've got kings of the north and kings of the south, and sometimes they're bad kings, and they're really doing a lot of bad stuff, they're not following the Lord, and so you've got all of those pre-exilic kings, or prophets, that go back one, that are preaching, uh, that are preaching against what Israel is doing, where they're going, but they don't listen, so what happens is, go back, they go into exile, and then you have Ezekiel and Daniel that are Daniel, Daniel that are talking uh, through the exile. And then when they come out of exile, they come out in, in three different groves, right? In three different you have uh, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah that are taking people from their captivity back to Jerusalem, and they're doing that in three waves. Okay, and after that, you know Nehemiah built the walls. Uh, uh, and so on, so on. so you got, but these guys right here of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are going to be post-exilic, post-exile. All right, so here's the question. When does God do the most speaking? You got 12 prophets that are trying to turn a nation from basically abandoning God. So he's speaking loud. He's shouting from the rooftops before the devastation comes. He is begging, he is pleading through the prophets for the nation of Israel not to abandon their God. Why? Because God is not fond of wrath. He's not happy he has to do these things, but because he's holy, he has to do these things. He has to be true to, to himself. So in the Old Testament here, you've got, it, it, you all know it, you've been disobedient, and all of a sudden it's hard to hear from God. Hello. Not a whole lot of people talking when you're in exile. Why? Because you're feeling the pain of your disobedience. And God wants you to feel that. He doesn't glory in it, but he wants you to feel that. Why? Because as a wide old, old elder once told me, sometimes the only thing that motivates people is pain. It's the only thing that really seems to motivate me. It doesn't have to be that way, but because of our human nature, we tend to, we tend to wait until the worst possible moment, until the la to enjoy the carnality or whatever, to the last possible moment, and then we want to repent. But more than often, it's, it's too late. You, got, you want to avoid the consequences, but you still want to dance in the carnal, and, and God's not going to let that happen. And so they're feeling the pain of exile. And then post-exilic, you have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, and a lot of prophecies trying to guide. But, but get this. You know, we've talked about this before. Get this in your head. When God first comes to, to uh, Moses, right? Burning bush. The burning bush was what? Burning. Not a trick question. It's like, is he asking, like, what type? Or? No. The burning bush was on fire. What does fire represent? It's, it's him. What did he come to the temple with? Fire. So Moses, when, when, when the bush is speaking, when the Lord is speaking to, to Moses from the burning bush, 
That's why it's holy ground, because that's the holiest of holies. And only Moses, that's why he has to take off his sandals, right? Because there can't be anything man-made between him and God. And so he's coming to that burning bush, and, and God himself is speaking to Moses. Moses, 40 years on the backside of a desert, right? Missed his calling. Figured it's all over. Is it ringing with anybody? You blew your chance over here, and now it's all done. And now you just got to live your life doing menial tasks, dreaming about what could have been, but you've already blown it. But 40 years later, God is coming on the backside to renew the call to Moses. That should give you joy. That should give you hope. Because what it tells you is Moses is a guy who knew what his calling was, but tried to access it through his own power, which is why he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Jew. Because he wanted to liberate his people. But God is never going to allow you to do his calling through your strength or your way. You hear me? And so on the backside of this, he runs, right? Because Pharaoh found out he's going to get in trouble. And so he's running all the way. His life is over. Backside of a desert, right? He still can't help freeing people because he chases off some guys who are giving the priest's daughters a bad time. And so he's still got this deliverance guy in him somewhere, but it's been so beaten down. He's 40 years later. He doesn't talk good. He's old. He's 80. I'm just telling you the truth. People, people sitting in the seats right now are thinking God's done with you because you've reached the retirement age in the kingdom. And that doesn't work. There's no retirement. Your retirement is heaven. That's it. Okay? So he's got all these things he can bring before the, for God while he's standing in the holiest of holies, the presence of Almighty God. All right? He finally gets it. You know, they, they negotiate over the benefits program, right? Well, I need Aaron to talk for me. Well, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, right? Then, then you move. They're, they're out. They're setting up a temple. And, and what does God do? He comes to the temple. What? There's fire by night. There's cloud by day. And get this. And, when, and Moses is considered the greatest prophet. And I'll tell you why. Because in Deuteronomy, this is what, what happens. Miriam, remember her? And his brother Aaron get a little cranky because he married a Cushite woman. And they're like, does God just speak to Moses? Does he not speak to us? And here's what happens. You can be cranky with people, but you know you've gone too far when God himself stops what he's doing in heaven and comes down to earth to answer the questions and the comments of people that are coming against his anointed. Because this is what he says to them. He's like, is there not a prophet in Israel that I don't give a vision or dream to? Yet it's not this way with Moses. I speak to him face to face as a man speaks to another man. So watch your mouth. And here's your leprosy. Right? What, is, what, what does Moses do? He prays for him. And her hand's restored. Okay, let's move along. There's a point to that, trust me. It's not just a sidebar. Okay, so what is a prophet and what do they do? Scroll, scroll again. They are basically intermediaries between God and man. That's one. Scroll again. They speak on behalf of God to man, again. They declare the word of God, again. And they can't, under any, under the direct, excuse me, they can, under the direction of God, see the future, have dreams and visions, interpret such dreams and visions, and etc. That's not the exhaustive list, but it's, it's a pretty good start to it. Okay, next. They receive special revelation from God, and prophets must be people of the word. They must be, 
you're not a prophet if you don't study the word. I don't care what you feel your gifting is. I don't care what you think it is. If you're not in the word, maybe you were called, but you ain't accessing nothing. Because you can't speak for somebody you don't know. And you know them through here, and you know them through the spirit. So don't talk to me about your prophetic gift if you're not madly in love with his word. Don't want to hear it because it's not true. Or you're, you're, you're just like Moses trying to access something in your own way without submitting yourself to God's way. Prophecy should scare you almost to death because of this right here. I don't care whether it's the gift in, and don't, please, don't do the gift. Well, it's a gift in the New Testament, and so, you know, we can just gift it away. It's not, it's not the thus, it's not the office part. It's not the thus saith the Lord. I don't care. That doesn't matter. If you say you're speaking on behalf of God, you're going to be held accountable to every single word that comes out of your mouth. So it should scare you. It should put the fear of God into you. There's a good book you should read about it from John Bevere called Thus Saith the Lord. Made me never want to prophesy again in my life. And glad that I don't hold the office of prophet. I'm serious. Because of the weight of what that means. It's very serious. And so we should never take it for granted or take it as light. Okay, next. They must be humble or they will be deceived. That's the number one thing of, of people called by God or prophets called by God is you'll recognize them by their humility. Because what they do scares them. And it should. Because they fear the Lord. Not paralyzing fear of, I don't even want to get, not the COVID fear that is coming across to everybody, but the fear of the Lord that says what is coming out of my mouth is so holy and is so pure, I want none of my flesh attached to it. Next. They must not add to or subtract from the message they've received. You don't get to add it. You don't get to do any of these kinds of things. It is his message cometh. It's just your lips. It doesn't even need to be deciphered by you unless he's told you to decipher it. You just give the message. End of story. End of it. Okay, next. They must have immediate obedience uh, to relay that message to whom God has sent it to. That means there's a, there's a type of obedience that comes with prophets that, that maybe some of us you know, don't we should all be obedient to what God has says, but if you're a prophet, you're held to a higher standard. And so you don't have time to mess around with the foolishness of the world and the foolishness of anything else. You're in the word, you're with God, and, and you're, you're declaring his message. Let me tell you something. Prophet is not something you earn. You don't get to just say you're a prophet. You don't, just get to, you don't just get to do that. The prophet and the office of prophet is ordained by God, not by man. Man recognizes what God has done, but you don't just get to say you're a prophet. Oh, I'm a prophet. This is, this is what burns in me and makes me angry and glad that I'm not. It's because of what I hear coming out of people who call themselves so-called prophets and are prophesying stuff that is just like one that doesn't come true, had, didn't come true, so you should, according to the Old Testament, stone them. See, nobody, nobody wants to be held accountable, but everybody wants to prophesy. It doesn't happen in the kingdom. You're going to be held accountable, and would be that you'd be held accountable here before you come into the presence of God. 
At least if you're held accountable here, you have time to repent. Okay. Uh, they see black and white, not shades of gray, prophets. You, you know those people. It's like, man, that seems hard. That seems tough. It's like, well, that's a prophet. <laughs> they're black and white people. They, they don't, they're John the Baptist, <laughs> you know. Well, I can understand where you're coming through, Pharisee, and my heart really bleeds for you, you know, and let's do some ministry to get you out of that Pharisaical mindset. That's not a prophet. That may be a pastor, you know, that may be a counselor, and that's not saying that's wrong, but a prophet is a guy who stands up and says, hey, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, you brood of vipers? Well, that didn't make me feel good. That didn't make me feel comfortable at all. Those people are just mean, right? Well, that's prophets. They, they're not, they just give it. And I, I do love kind of being around the prophets guy, people, and let me tell you why. It's because they're not afraid of what people think of them. <laughs> and everybody needs a little bit of that to declare whatever God has given you to say. So I don't mind hanging around prophets. Now listen, I don't want a prophet living in my house 24-7, but I can be around him for quite a while. Okay, hey, yeah, you put too much cream in your coffee, man. Like, hey, back off, dude. It's mine, all right? Okay, next. Prophets can have fun, but they are a little more careful with the type of fun that they have. Right? Uh, they can be joyful, yet they also feel the weight of the message they carry. Friendship, they can have friends, but they do not entertain foolishness. Okay? Peace, yet they understand the times that they live in. I was going to go through all the, the fruits of it, but there's not time. We'll do that maybe some other time. Um, the number one thing of a prophet, though, the number one thing for all of us is love when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. But you, you have the, you know, they have peace, patience, kindness, good, all that. They have, like, the order of it. With a prophet, that's not the order of the prophet. The, pro the order of a prophet is love and then self-control right after it because you can't be given over to the things because you're held to that higher standard because you're declaring what God says. Yes, they can be happy. Yes, they can be joyful, all these different kinds of things, but they got to be really good about self-control, which is why there's not a whole lot of huge prophets, I think, in the world today, or at least in the United States. There are some, don't get me wrong, there are a few, but it's, it's not, not everybody who says they're a prophet is, is a prophet, because there are false prophets as well, too. Okay, continue. That it? Wow, I was so excited. Okay. <laughs> it was a fleeting moment of, of uh, PowerPoints. Um, <laughs> so the other thing, uh, so this is, this is kind of your, your, your satellite view of prophecy. We're not, we're not, and prophets. We're not going into every single one, but we are going to go into them a little bit. So we're not going to spend a year and a half on Isaiah, but we're going to draw some truths out of Isaiah at some point to kind of show. Because why is this important? Uh, <clears throat> because you, like the sons of Issachar, have to understand the times in which you live. And prophets will help you do that. Okay. And so uh, there are other prophets in the Bible that don't have books named after them. Isaiah, excuse me, not Isaiah, uh, Elijah, Elisha. They don't have an actual book named after them, but they are prophets and kings. So all of those things, can you find the prophet list for me again, the prophet PowerPoint? So, yep, back one more time. I think there's one with all of them where it says uh, 17 prophets. 
It's back before this one. There you go, one more. Or, yeah. Okay, well, there's 17 prophets. Okay, so this 17 prophets right here, that prophetic 17, all of those guys are going to be prophesying through uh, the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles. That's, that's where they are. That's where, that's where their ministry goes to, is between those two books, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. That's where, that's where all those books will fit into. So that gives you an idea of what is going on. Because sometimes you look at the Bible and you're like, wow, I went through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and wow, a lot of stuff going on there. And then you get to the prophets, but because they're, you know, they're a different book, we don't realize that they're happening in, in that 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles area. All those guys are prophesying because they're coming at Israel and saying, stop, don't do it. And then you get two guys who are like, well, you did it, and we're here. And you got the three guys, hey, let's not do that again, <laughs> right? And so the interesting thing when I was talking about the fire is that when Solomon dedicated the temple, the fire came down again, right, and consumed the sacrifice. But after exile, and, and during exile, Ezekiel gets the vision of the fire and the presence of God leaving the temple. And when they come back and rebuild the temple, and they do all this kind of stuff, and they rebuild their walls, and they think they're going to be good, guess what doesn't come back? His presence they may honor it. They may keep the veil up. And they may go in once a year. But, but the presence, they haven't seen the dynamic presence come into that place again. And they're not going to see it until Jesus himself manifested in the fire and the glory of God. Walks into the temple and they don't recognize him. They don't recognize the presence anymore. They don't recognize the glory that was on him. When he comes up out of the water after being baptized and the Spirit descends upon him, right? Like it does each and every one of you when you have been filled with his Spirit. He's walking in that glory and he's walking in that power throughout his entire ministry. And he comes into the temple and they don't recognize it. Because it's not what they expected. It's not what they wanted. They weren't worried about reconciliation with the Father. They were working about, worried about reconciliation with the world and their exaltation, not their humility. Okay. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the opener. Okay. One book we're going to look at right now that's going to accompany some of the stuff is the book at, of Jonah. And let me tell you this. One thing you can do in your Bible— Please, you're not violating some sacred thing if you write in your Bible, okay? You may not want to, and that's okay, but please don't think you're destroying the Word of God because you write notes in it. There's nothing wrong with writing notes in your Bible. Feel free. Um, <clears throat> one thing you can do as you go through these, these books of, of the prophets is kind of write down in the corner of whether they're pre-exilic, exilic, or post-exilic, and that will help you to understand a little bit more of the message that they're declaring in this, Okay? So Jonah is going to be a pre-exilic prophet. He's going to be a prophet that is supposed to be speaking before Israel goes into this bad stuff. And he is in 2 Kings. There's a 2 Kings, I think it's 14, there's a prophecy of, of Jonah that's saying that uh, one of the kings is going to restore the northern border, right? <clears throat> so he's there, he's, he's speaking, and that king did. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of the Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. <clears throat> For their wickedness has come up before me. 
But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now let's just stop. Just stop right there. What did we just say about prophets? And what are you seeing in the first two lines here? He fled. He didn't just, you know, turn his back. Nineveh is here. Tarshish is Spain. He wanted to go as far away as he could in the known world from the calling that God had asked him to do. It's not like, I don't know. God, This guy got on a boat around Israel and took off for Spain. Spain. This, he knew the presence of the Lord. He's prophesied for God. He's, he's been recognized as a prophet. All, all of these different things. Why then? When God says, go to Nineveh because their sin has come up against me and preach, why does he go the other direction? Maybe you should ask yourself that question. Why do you block yourself off from the word of God that's been spoken into your life? You'll probably find the answer for Jonah by sometimes looking into our own hearts. I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm saying this to be hopeful to you. It's not over. It's not over. God doesn't have a fat lady in heaven ready to sing. Not happening. He's closed her mouth. She doesn't get to prophesy the negative stuff into you anymore. Right now, I'm telling you right now, he's renewing, he's stirring some people in this room right now. And I know that he would, and I know that he's going to. I don't know who, but I know that he is. Why? Because now the choice sits in you of whether you will be the man or the woman that you know he's called you to be, or whether you will flee like Jonah to another part of the world, hoping you can just have a calm and peaceful life and not be worried about all this garbage. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship, going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it with the boat with Tarshish, and fled from the presence of the Lord. The Lord then throws a wind on the sea, the great storm. It scares them so much that even the sailors are scared and know they're going to die. And so they're throwing cargo over. They're trying to lighten the boat to keep it up on the, the water, but they know that this is a horrible type of thing. Uh, Jonah, though, had gone down into the bow of the ship and was sleeping during the storm. Does that sound familiar? There's a New Testament guy that was asleep during the storm, wasn't he? Right? But he was doing what God had called him to do. So when he was awakened, he could step out onto the boat and say, Why are you faithless? Peace be still. Let's go back to sleep. This calms the storm, right? Why? Because when prophets are in alignment with the will of God, they can declare and manifest the power of God into our reality. When they're not, they may be sleeping like they're in peace, but once they're awakened, they don't have the power to deal with the storm. Some of y'all are living in storms that you're wondering why you can't get peace in. It's because you've been living in disobedience. 
and you can't even prophesy well over yourself. He's slapping me too. Oh, sailors are afraid, right? So the captain approached and said, how is it that you were sleeping? See, there's, there are people, man, that I have, I thought were with us, right? Gosh, I thought we're, we're going to be your battle buddies right to the end. You've known, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I'm just saying there were people that were with us, but they're no longer with us. They, we thought they were of us, but they're not of us. So maybe they were never of us, right? That, that whole thing. But you thought they were right there, and all of a sudden they're like gone embrace the world and man you're like left holding the bag like I thought we were in this together I thought this was but they've given over and caved over into the world and then they've braced a sinful lifestyle whatever and and here you are left holding that bag but here's the common thing that they say a lot of times at least I've heard them say to me it's like I have so much peace since I've just given myself over to this well of course you do because you're no longer in the battle You've surrendered to the wrong thing. Of course you're going to feel some type of peace because you're not engaged in the battle for the transformation of your mind and your heart and your soul to become more like Christ. You've given yourself over to become more like the world. And there is going to be some semblance of peace in that. It's just not going to be a lasting peace. It's just not going to be a steadfast peace. It's not going to be a peace that's going to hold you through through the storms of life. It's just going to be a peace that's going to come that say, yeah, do whatever the heck you want. Life is short. But the peace that comes from Christ, the one who was sleeping in the bow of the boat and the one who declared that the storm to be stopped, and it did, that is the type of peace that you really want. Because even though you're in the battle, you feel that peace, you sense that peace, because you know you're going to be victorious in the storm if you stay steadfast, relying on his power and his presence. Give up if you want to. Take this sense, the false peace of the world, if you want to. But let me tell you this. At the end, you're going to realize. And it's not going to be anybody else's fault. You're not going to blame me. You're not going to blame others. Well, they told me this, or I really, you know, none of that stuff is going to fly when you come into the presence of God. No excuses. You chose what you chose. You could have been victorious. You chose to be a victim. Nobody can make that choice for you. You understand that. And God holds you accountable for that choice. You will either live in victory or you will be a victim. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying any of this other kinds of stuff. I'm just saying that that's the choice. And you don't want to be a victim. Live as a victim. You want to be someone in Christ who lives victorious because the reality of spiritual warfare is you're not fighting to win, you're fighting from victory. And if you're living as a victim, you're never going to fight from victory. He's already won the war. The, the war is done. The, the enemy is not standing up next to Jesus and we're wondering how this thing is going to work out. He has been crushed under the weight of the cross and the resurrection. He has no power. He's been disarmed. What other excuse are you going to give? He's done it all. All he's asked you to do is to walk. Walk victorious. Walk like you want something, son. Because you did. 
Walk out your victory. All right. So they're trying to figure this out. So he can't declare peace to the storm. So the only thing that can be done for the sailors to have peace is for him to be given to the storm. They got to throw him over. Because that's the price of disobedience. That's why some of you have been given over to your storm. I don't feel like I can get a minute's peace. Nothing seems to be working. Nothing seems to be happening. All this different kinds of stuff. These cycles just keep going around. And listen, I've been in those cycles before too. I'm not, I'm not trying to bring condemnation to you. I promise you that. It's not about condemnation. But I'm, I'm like a ball-peeing hammer sometimes that the Lord has called me to be. And that's something that just, it, it shatters stuff. And it does, it's not, I'm not used to shatter and destroy. I'm used to shatter so that the Lord can rebuild. I'm used to shatter the false things that you've placed in your life that you love more than the Lord. I, I can't shatter them, but I'm, I'm supposed to bring this back to you to give you the choice again. The choice has been given back to you. You didn't have it when you were first born. You didn't have it before Christ, but you have it after you came into the kingdom through Christ. You now have a choice of whether you will pursue it or whether you'll still live by the false narrative of before him. Talk about fake news. The enemy is the king of fake news. He's always telling you what you were and what you really are. And sometimes we choose to believe that more than with the word of God that said, I've called you higher. I've called you into something more. And he's not even condemning you with this. So take condemnation out of it. When Jesus is coming to you and speaking these things to you, what he's really coming to you with is love. And saying, son, daughter, I have everything for you to come and live in victory with me. And the choice is just yes. It doesn't mean you're going to be, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm going to be delivered of everything right away. It doesn't mean, what it does mean is you've started on the path of the fullness of God in you. And he's going to be teaching you things along that way. So here's what Jonah has done. He's disobeyed God. He's tried to run from his presence. Evidently, he did not read David when he said, even though I make my bed in hell, you are still with me. <laughs> you can't run from God. You can't hide from him. But he's trying to run. And, uh, and why? Because Nineveh is a Gentile city full of wickedness, bad people. And Jonah is used to being a prophet who, I'm telling you, these prophets, they know God is going to get you. You disobedient, you. And Jonah is wanting a word that was probably for yesterday about God's vengeance and stomping out the wicked Gentiles. But that's not God's word for that day. God's word for that day was, I want you to preach because I'm about to throw down judgment and I want to give them a choice. And if you will preach, we'll see what happens. The glory of God could fall on that place. And Jonah does not want to see the glory of God fall where God wants it to fall. He wants to see God's wrath fall where he thinks it should fall. And that's the dangerous part of prophecy is that you can get your own self mixed up into that to, to, to prophesy what you want to see happen and tag the Lord's name onto that. 
But those who are really in Christ are not, are not concerned about their passions and are not concerned about what they want to see happen. They want to see what God wants to happen. People who are in Christ are not excited about wrath and judgment either. And they shouldn't be. They should be really excited about hoping that they can walk into a Nineveh and see the entire city of 120,000 people fall before the presence of God and see what he was going to do, relent, and his glory and favor fall in that place. Maybe you're called to do that. But you're never going to know, Jonah, until you turn. All right, satellite view, I'm, I'm spending too much time. But there's just so much here. Even in the midst of his disobedience, God is showing the humanity of these, of these so-called uh, Gentile sailors. Because even when they know that they're supposed to throw him over and that they will be saved, they work extra hard not to do it. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard. They know that's a death sentence. Yet he was willing and able to throw a death sentence on other Gentiles. Here's these sailors who don't want to throw that him, a Jew, they're Gentiles, don't want to throw him overboard. What is God showing Jonah? That there is something of worth and value in people that I want to redeem. And if you can get your mind out of wrath and judgment, you'll see it and pursue it. This is a problem. I know I'm always saying it. This is a problem with the church today. There's like a million problems of it. But if we're going to be that bride who's without spot and wrinkle, then we've got to love the same people that Jesus loves, which is everybody. And we've got to bring the same message. And your job is not over. Your job is not done. You didn't blow it. You didn't miss it. It's still there for you. It's still there for you. Okay. <clears throat> As he's moving, um, So they throw him into the sea, right? The great fish swallows him up. <laughs> Three days and nights. Then Jonah's going to pray. You read the prayer in chapter 2. It's a very beautiful prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. It's a confession, you know, of his sin and blah, blah, blah. There's only one problem. Remember, I'm taking up satellite view of this. I'm not going to go through every. So read the prayer on your own and see if you pick this up. Well, I'm going to tell you, so you're going to pick it up. What you're going to pick up is he's going to be dealing with the fact that he disobeyed God but it hasn't dealt with the motivation of his heart. He's going to do what God has told him to do, but he's still not loving whom God has told him to love. Because he's going to go to Nineveh, he's going to walk through it, and he's going to, like, repent. So today, what I wanted to do, and I just didn't have the time, and I, didn't, I couldn't trust Scout. I was going to bring Scout. And so imagine Scout, our blue merle puppy, is in, your, is in my hand right now, and I'm looking at Scout, and I'm saying, you're the dumbest little dog there ever was. Yes, you are. You know what she's going to do? She's going to wag that little nub tail. She's going to be so excited about it. But if I say, you are the best dog in the world, and I love you, 
You know what she's going to do? You want to know why? Because how you tell the message is just as important as the message that you're saying. And you can tell people you love them so much, but if you're coming at it through an angry rap, they're not going to feel nothing. But if you come to them broken and say, man, God loves you. And I just, I just, I know that there's redemption for you. I know that there's power for you. I see you not as what other people have said, not as what mom and dad have said here or there or what you missed back there, but I'm seeing what God can do in making up the lack, and I'm seeing that there's power, and I'm seeing that there's purpose, and I'm going to be relentless because I love what God does through broken people, and he did it through me, and he'll do it through you. Don't give up. Don't take what the enemy has told you. Don't sit there and think that this is the end. Man, there is a burning bush somewhere for you that God is waiting for you to take off the sandals of your, off your feet and to stand in the holiness and let him declare into your life what he's called it to be. Listen to the rest of that junk. They're lies. So he goes through, and we get through three, and all of a sudden everybody's repenting. Oh, man, we got, we got. We got the lower caste, poor people, right? We got the middle class. We got the king himself who is, who is sackcloth and ashes and makes him say, hey, listen, it's not only the people, but I want dogs, cats, animals. Everybody's fasting, man. We don't want to die, right? He's broken. He's crying out for the glory of God. He, he doesn't even want his pets to die, right? They're going to fast too. Everybody's going to fast because there's something out there. There's a reason that he brought this to us before he said he would destroy us. So you could repent from it and enter into his glory. And here we are back to Jonah. Greatly displeased. No, it says that. Greatly displeased. Two words in from chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry. Why? Listen to what he says. I knew you were a God of mercy. I knew you were a God that doesn't like to do wrath. I, I, the Bible even says, he says, I told you that this was going to happen. Jonah says that to God after God has done, saved 120,000 people from destruction. Jonah's like, I knew this was going to happen. Why? Why is he so mad? Because even though he did what God said for him to do, he wasn't motivated out of love. He was just motivated, like, I don't want God to squash me. I got to do what God has to say. But he's not motivated, he's not moved to love the people that God has called him to love. And so he sits out there, and he's angry, and he's bitter. He's like, I knew you'd save these people. You deserve wrath. What Jonah did not understand is that he deserved the exact same thing, but for the grace of God. And could you not extend that grace to others or will you sit there in judgment? It's the other thing about prophets is they're right next to judgment. It's because some of the words that they get from God are about judgment. God finally, I don't know, the end. The end is kind of left open here. And I think, I think rightly so because it's an open-ended question for us. Because the God, God what does God do? He, Jonah builds a booth. God brings a plant that comes over and gives him shade, then sends the worm to eat it, and then the, the hot wind the next morning, and he's sweating. He's like, just let me die, man. Just let me die. It's better that I'm dead. 
He's going through all this. And God says to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Can you imagine? Think, think how you feel when your kids talk back to you like that. So, well, it's on now, right? You know, you're like, that, that ain't, that not in my house, right? And he's talking to, to God. I have good reason to be angry even unto death. Your pride, man. And, he's, and the Lord said, you had compassion on a plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city where more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Hear this. This is striking. This is striking at the core of, of who we are. Is, is we have the choice to be angry and judgmental and bitter over the people that God is sending his glory on. Or you, if Jonah would have had the motivation, imagine what it would have been like for Jonah to mentor 120,000 people and disciple them in the ways of Yahweh. But it didn't happen. I'm not saying those people didn't get saved or something didn't happen. I, I'm sure. But later on down the road, same people that you're called to preach to, and I, I think disciple in the ways of Yahweh. I mean, some of the same people that are going to come knocking on the doors of Jerusalem a few years later to destroy it. There are things that are wonderful, too wonderful sometimes to really to understand, it seems. But we are in a place right now where we don't really know what's going to happen in this season, right? Um, it's not just COVID. Um, it's the hatred and the bitterness, and it's not just because it's an election year. That's just, that just, that's fuel to the flame, but you know, like Billy Joel, the prophet, said, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning, right? I say that jestfully. But there's always been anger and there's always been hatred. But there's been more fuel added to it. And for a purpose, I think. And so, what is our response? I, I think this. I think, like what Dan was saying, that we've all been saying, is that we don't know what's going to happen it could, it could be worse. But here's the thing. When God destroyed the earth, and he destroyed it, man, every single living thing on it, but he saved one family in an ark. Let me tell you what I felt the Lord say to me about this. I felt him say that Noah felt every wave, felt every billow. Maybe he even heard cries of people. I can't imagine that. Yet though he was sailing and through the greatest devastation that the earth had ever seen, I don't think he got wet one bit. 
if the Israelites are going to walk through the Red Sea and not the sole of their sandal is wet. I'm going to, I imagine that Jonah, in the midst of, 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 of the biggest flood, the greatest flood ever, that covered mountains, that covered everything, that he's floating on a boat with a few animals, and the only, only water that's touching them is the stuff they're bringing to their lips to drink. I'm thinking, it's, I believe it's going to be the same way with us. We may see some things. We may feel bumps and waves and all that different kinds of stuff. But I'm telling you, you're going to be in the ark of his presence. That doesn't mean don't go super spiritual on me. <laughs> that just means that whatever we see, people, we're going to see it together. We're not going to be isolated. We're not going to be alone. We've got each other all the way through this. And things may be hard and things may get tough, but we've got each other and we've got his presence and we're going to survive. Or go and be with him. Either way, good. So the only thing we do in the midst of things of which we have no control over is to keep being the light and the love of Christ. The salt, right? all of it, the light, all of it, through every aspect of it, so that we can bring as many people into the kingdom as possible until whatever happens, happens. I don't know. Could be, may nothing ha more happen for 100 years, but nothing's going to get better like it was. It's okay. Because we are a people who are like the sons of Ishakar. We understand the times that we are in. And lastly, lastly, I want to reiterate one thing. It's not over. It's not over for you. I can hear, I, it's, I'm, I'm, trust me, I don't believe for one moment that I, I hold like the office prophet. I, I, I don't. And I'm okay. I'm really fine with that. God has not given me the thing to declare who's going to win elections or what's going to happen. Those are not in my thing. He doesn't give in that to me, and I'm okay with that. But I can sense in this room today that they're stirring in the hearts of some of you that something you thought was over and dead is now starting to see life. Something's starting to ruminate inside of you. Something that you're maybe almost uncomfortable with because you don't know what that means, and I'm telling you it is okay. You can trust him with this. If you give yourself to him, you can trust him with the results of all of it. He has always been faithful to you. He has always been good to you. This isn't about your works. This is about his work. And God has accepted Christ's work on the cross. And so he is always willing and able at any time to accept you wherever you at, to pull you from it, and to bring you in to what he's called to do. I am not saying it's going to happen in a week, but I'm saying if you will surrender to it, you're going to sense it, you're going to feel it, and you're going to feel the hope return back into your heart. You're going to feel purpose return back into your heart. You're going to look at something that was a ministry over here that you thought, I thought it was good, but now I'm disqualified, and now this doesn't work, and blah, blah, blah. You're going to see God stretching out your hand again to reach for something that you thought was 
was inaccessible and you're not reaching for it anymore because of your power, but you're relying on him and he's bringing this back to you. For what purpose? To make you feel good about yourself? No. That's a byproduct. But the purpose is so that you become viable and useful to him and produce fruit for him again. That's your goal. That's the longing of your heart is you want to be someone who's fruitful again. It's been so long since you've seen any tangible fruit on your vine and crying out, God, please put me in that place again. A tender shoot that will produce fruit for you. And I'm telling you, that God is saying yes. He's saying yes to you today. He's saying yes. Would you answer him back? I heard this. You healing people, I'm going to ruin something for you tonight. It's just too good to let go of. It came from Todd White. I'm probably going to mess it up, but help me, Lord. He said, you can't incorporate God into your life. You have to give your life to God. You can't continue going around doing the things you've always done and then bring God on the backside of that. It doesn't work. You have to give your life to God, and whatever happens, happens. My life is no longer my own. And he's hitting me with this stuff like he's hitting you with this stuff. And because he's hitting us with that revelation, it's leaving us with choices that we're going to have to make of whether we'll respond to that and say, come hell or high water, I'm following you. Or you're going to say, you know, I'm going to do my own thing and you can come along on my road, which doesn't work. What's it going to be? Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.